Hi, I'm Sam, and I'd like to welcome Artemis Pyle, the last man standing and one of the drummers for Leonard Skinnerd. So welcome, Artemis. A quick question of what was what was your lifestyle like being with Leonard Skinnerd? Well, you know, when I got with the band, Charlie Daniels and the Marshall Tucker band, you know, they had suggested me to Ronnie Van Zant, who was kind of looking for a drummer because Bob Burns had some medical issues and everything. And um, so, you know, my name was floating around out there through the Southern Rock uh, mailbox, uh, so to speak. Um, and, and so as soon as I joined the band, we started, you know, touring. So I, I went from playing a gig here, a gig there, some clubs, you know, uh, uh, maybe a festival or two with, with, you know, bands that I, I liked playing with, you know, I always put together killer bands and, uh, but, it was different with, with Leonard Skinner. Um, the first thing I asked Charlie Daniels when he said, there's a band called Leonard Skinner looking for a drummer. The first thing I said was, do they work hard? And um, little did I know, I, I mean, how hard the band worked because uh, from the minute I joined the band, it was on the road, in the studio, on the road, in the studio. You know, just we had so few days at home. And, um, of course, you know, I had a, a wife and a son. So, yeah, the, the lifestyle completely, what I'm, my point is, is it, it's everything changed. I, I went from playing locally and regionally to nationally and uh, worldwide. So you can imagine all, all of the stuff that goes with that. But, you know, I, I like being on the road. I'm very comfortable on our tour bus. Um, you know, my band now, we have a 1999 Prevo. Uh, we keep her clean as a pin. She's fast and uh, used to belong to Lenny Kravitz. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, well, yeah, I, I love the road and uh, I'm, I'm married to music. I'm married to the road. Yeah. I mean, it seems like such a, a lifestyle, like something you can't can't really give up once you've once you've been involved in it. And I know I, I've watched some some documentaries on Skinner and I've done some research myself. And it, it just seems like the, you always were doing stuff like it. Everything always seemed busy and productive, which it just you know, was that a stressful lifestyle at all? Or was it just something you had to do to keep the ball rolling and keep putting out music? I, I love it. I mean, I, I'm a Marine, you know, uh, I was, I'm a trained, you know, Vietnam era Marine and I had orders to Vietnam, but, uh, my father was killed in a mid-air plane collision in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And then we pulled out of Vietnam. And so I thank God the rest of my whole life that I didn't have to go see that mess. Um, I had friends that went to Vietnam and came back very different. And I had friends that went to Vietnam and did not come back. Mm-hmm. So, I don't take that lightly. And, um, you, you know, I, I, my, my father and my dream was for me to fly jets for the United States Marine Corps. So I was going to go to Quantico, Virginia, um, and get my, you know, eventually my captain's bars, go to flight school. And that was the, that was the dream because dad and I both started, you know, taking flight lessons at the same time. He soloed. I was just about to solo. And then he was hit out in Albuquerque by a B-57 
from behind and above, never knew what hit him, um, doing two things that made him happy, flying over property he was going to build on, because dad was an architect. He was in World War II, fought in the South Pacific, and uh, he was flying an airplane. So that was the dream. But after dad was killed, uh, I, I went straight to music, because my first set of drums was bought by my father, set of Red Sparkle Slingerlands, and, uh, you know, it led led me to eventually being the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame drummer of Leonard Skinner. So, and, and the reason I'm in the Hall of Fame is because of Ronnie Van Zant and, and the boys. You mm-hmm. know, um, I, I know that's true, but it's I'm not going to give it back. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, when you when you started out with all that drumming stuff, did you ever think it would lead to a career? Or was it just something you know to help you through you know the the grief of just losing your dad? Um, no, I, I I played I've been playing drums all my life, mm-hmm. and um, you know I've I rode horses, which there's a gallop when you're galloping on a horse, there's a certain rhythm, and then for my grandfather's road building company and rock quarry, and all that kind of stuff in Tennessee, I ran bulldozers. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you get a Caterpillar D8 diesel underneath you, clanking, you know, um, and you sit on one of those all day. I used to write little symphonies, you know, to the it's, – it's like when you – I'm sure you've been going down the road and you have your windshield wipers on. And, and all of a sudden you feel yourself, you know, pulled into a rhythm with, with the windshield wipers. And, uh, you know, you feel, you feel that rhythm. So – Horses and bulldozers, um, you know, I, I am a definitely a natural drummer, Sam. Uh, it's, <clears throat> it's something that's ingrained in me. <clears throat> and all of my children, you know, I have eight children and grandchildren, and um, they all play drums because I, I start them off on drums because no matter what instruments you end up playing, whether it be trombone or oboe or guitar, y- you have to learn time. So, you know, my youngest son, River, that just graduated from Appalachian State University uh, with a degree in uh, environmental, you know, um, sustainability, um, he started off on drums and he plays keys and he plays guitar. But trombone is his favorite uh, instrument, which is my I I love trombone. Hmm. So all of the kids and grandkids, we, we all jam together. It gets pretty tribal, um, but they, they've gone to other instruments where I just stick to what I know. I, I'm, a, I'm a drummer. You know, I'll play a bass guitar by myself sitting in, you know, in, in, in my studio by myself. I'll play piano uh, sitting by myself. I'll even strum on a guitar, but I'd never play that in public. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, so I'm, I'm a natural drummer and um, it, it's it's something that I, I love doing. I mean, I'm 75 years old, and people tell me that I play like I'm 25. And, of course, when you play Leonard Skinner music, you can't just mess around. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to lay into it, man. It's just like anything good from the days, you know, was Led Zeppelin good back then? Are they good now? Yeah. You know, Skinner was great back then. Skinner is, the music is good now. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we, we lost Gary Rossington. You know, uh, seven months ago or so, and um, I went to Gary's service, and Gary Rossington was the last founding member of Leonard Skinner, and that- um, which and a lot of people came up to me and said, "You're the last member of Leonard Skinner." 
And, you know, Sam, it, it, it's, uh, it's true. I am the last living member of Leonard Skinner, but, you know, Ronnie Van Zant's Leonard Skinner. But, but it's, it's not, I'm, I'm not bragging, and it's not a good feeling. As a matter of fact, it's a bad feeling. It's, it's not a good feeling. And, uh, but it's a fact. So I'm not going to change what I do. I've, I've been a drummer my whole life. I've been in bands my whole life. You know, I'm in four bands right now, uh, you know, locally and regionally and, and nationally. My my band, APB, we just finished that, that album that we did in honor of Ronnie Van Zandt. And we got Dolly Parton singing Freebird. We got oh, Sammy wow. Hagar singing, singing Simple Man. You know, Sammy Hagar put his whole, uh, all of the uh, the guest performers, you know, Dolly Parton and Sammy and, um, uh, Ronnie Dunn from the band Brooks and Dunn. He sings Freedom Alabama. All of these people that, that sang. And, you know, the basic track on every song is Jerry Lida, Scott Raines, Brad Durden, uh, Dave Fowler, and myself, Artemis Powell. And, and we, we are the basic track on every one of those songs. But we brought in you know, the first one to sing was Freebird, and that was Dolly. And once you get Dolly on Freebird, that kind of opens the door for a lot of people to go, hell yeah, I'd like to be on that album. Mm-hmm. You know? Of course. Yeah, so that's you, a, that's you exciting. Get, you get it. You know, you get it. Of course. And and so it, that that's what we did. It's, an, it's, it's honoring the music of Ronnie Van Zant and his band. Wow. And um, the, the album is called Anthems. And I love the name um, because Ronnie didn't just write hit songs and hit uh, albums. He wrote anthems that will be here a thousand years from now. What I wanted to do was with using modern technology with all of the latest recording techniques and everything, put a new polish uh, on, on all the, the Skinner catalog. We, we, I think we did 14 songs. And um, and brought in you know guest artists. We brought in a girl from uh, Canada named Lindsay L. She's 33 years old, beautiful, hot, uh, plays great guitar. She did Needle in the Spoon. She sang it. You know, she kind of has a very clear, strong kind of a Cheryl Crow voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but her own thing. I mean, she's she's very big in Canada, and she's super cool. Uh, we we were in the studio with her all day, and super nice. My son fell in love with her, of course. Um, but uh, you know, the the this is what we're doing now is is th- this album. But we have an album that we're going to do. Of we just did a soundtrack for a movie that we did about the Leonard Skinner plane crash. That and my band wrote, wrote a song, the title track called "Street Survivors." Mm-hmm. And um, I'd put it up against any Southern rock song there is out there, period, wow. um, ever, ever written. And, and it's called Street Survivor. And my band, these guys stepped up, Sam. And, I mean, it's got guitar harmonies. It's got beautiful vocal harmonies. And, and my three singers in the band, uh, Brad, Jerry, and Scott, they grew up together, basically, with the same music. And their vocal harmonies, they're, they're from, like, Georgia, Alabama, North Carolina, Tennessee, Kentucky. That's where we're all from all these different states. And it, they have true southern vocals um, and harmonies. But understand, I don't tell anybody in my band to try to sound like Ronnie Van Zant. You know, uh, I, don't, I don't tell anybody in my band, dress like Leon Wilkinson. Um, we don't do that. We, we're about the music. Yeah, yeah, and we like to get paid like any other band. We we like to get a, a a paycheck, but we're we're not about the money. We are 
totally about the the music. We've been together 15 years. We have you know a tour bus uh, that we bought, and and um, it's it's our home. We have a great driver. Our driver drove for Taylor Hawkins. No way. And among you know among others, I mean the Eagles and. He's uh, he lives about uh, 30 miles from me. I live in North Carolina um, at the base of the mountains that go up to Grandfather Mountain, and uh, you know it goes up to 6,600 feet around here. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know you're 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 in Washington, Seattle. State? Yes. So you you've got gigantic mountains. What's the what's the height of the closest mountain to you? Oh boy, I, I don't know, but they're they're pretty tall. <laughs> I know that's uh, that's not saying much, but. They're they're up there. I think I think you've got stuff, you know, over ten thousand. Yeah, um, probably uh, out there. I I love Washington. I, I used to really love to play uh, Seattle because we'd stay at the Edgewater uh, Hotel, the Edgewater Inn, and you could fish out of your window, out of <laughs> out of your balcony. And uh, Leon caught a mud shark from your bay, you know, your big Seattle mm-hmm. Bay there. Well, one question here. I know there's a lot out there, like on the internet and stuff that. Your bandmate Ronnie Van Zant predicted his own death. Is there anything there, or is that just like a rumor? No, you're talking to the guy he said it to. Now he may have said it to other people, but Ronnie and I were sitting in Tokyo uh, in 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 the hotel lounge, and Ronnie told me that he would never live to see thirty, and he would go out with his boots on. So, like for a musician. You know, going out with your boots on is like being in, in the cavalry and you're in a battle and you die in your saddle. Mm-hmm. Um, and But Ron, for a musician, that means being on the road. And Ronnie said that to me, which is something I never forgot, because I said, oh, Ronnie, you know, you're, you're going to live forever. And um, I just kind of blew it off. But he said that to me. And when I said you're going to live forever, he will. His, his songs are going to live you know, forever to us, yeah, you know, the yeah. mankind, human beings to us forever is, you know, a, a thousand years from now, that's forever. Um, and, and so, but I, it, the, his words always rang in my ears. I will never live to see 30 and I'll go out with my boots on in the saddle because, you know, he was 29, Sam. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that, that's, that is totally the truth. And it was me. He said it to and as I say, he may have said that to other people, but I know for a fact that he said it to me. Well, when you were on the plane and it was it was going down, did you know, like, oh, my gosh, this is it. Ronnie is this was Skinner's last stand. No, no, I, I never give up. I never I, I never see my life flash before my eyes. I've been in multiple plane crashes, car wrecks, motorcycle wrecks. I've been shot. I've been stabbed. You know, I, I've been in precarious situations. Um, I, you know, I've never felt like this is the end. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, my thing was when I, the engine started going out, I was in the cockpit anyway because I used to fly that plane and our plane before that. And we were going to trade all of that in on a brand new Learjet and two new tour buses for the girls and for our crew. So we were excited about the future. And uh, as we were going down, um, 
you know, it wasn't like anybody screaming, oh, my God, this is it. Um, everybody on that plane uh, uh, took their death. They died bravely, in my opinion. You know, they, 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 they took what was coming. But Ronnie, you know, walked to the back of the airplane. And then, and I thought, good idea. Uh, the farther back, probably the better, you know, survival rate. And that, that kind of went through my mind. And then he came back forward and stopped, and we shook hands, the old hippie handshake. Mm-hmm. And he smiled at me, and there were no words. Um, and then he walked forward. And I could, I could just see in his eyes, he knew his destiny. Wow. And he wasn't afraid of it. And he went back on the front of that plane, knowing that that really wasn't a good place. And, um, you know, the doctors told me that Ronnie was killed pretty much instantly. Uh, by a single blow to the head, that he was intact, and what what it was was a television set that wasn't strapped down. We were rock and roll, man. We fucked up. Wow. You know, we we didn't strap stuff down. We we stood up and walked up and down the aisle on takeoffs and landing. You know, we we did stupid stuff just because you know it was our airplane and we could get away with it. Um, uh, it was dumb, but it, somebody could have gotten hurt really bad before that. We had to turn around and land one time because one of the crew that was drunk went back and opened up the cargo door on the back of the airplane. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and our, our pilot got so pissed off. I've never seen anybody so mad. Um, he landed that plane and came back through that, you know, cabin screaming at the top of his lungs. He said, you know, if anything like that ever happens again, he's done. And he wow. did quit us and go back with Flying Tiger. He called me after the plane crash and apologized for not being our pilot. He said I could make good money with Flying Tiger. And I said, no, man, you know, you'd seen it all. He flew for Jerry Lee Lewis. No way. You know, Les Long was his name, Les, Lester Long. And he, uh, he was a great pilot. But we had two guys that just made several mistakes in a row. Our pilot and co-pilot made several mistakes in a row. And we were rock and roll. We didn't pay enough attention to it. And um, and, and we went down hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, everybody met their death bravely. Uh, everybody's got a different, you know, there, were, there was 26 of us on that plane. And there are many of those people are still with us. And they've everybody has different memories. Yeah. And uh, I just know that, you know, I was completely conscious i knew, i was never knocked out i know i knew what happened at all times and i wrote it down and i got out of the wreckage and went for help man because that's what i was supposed to do and didn't you get shot uh i did the farmer thought i was an escaped criminal uh, i was covered in blood and uh i looked like a crazy uh, you know crazy person mm-hmm. uh, and i was kind of dragging along because i had severe injuries so uh, he fired. I heard. I saw the gun. I heard the shot. I felt something sting me in my left shoulder. I spun around and I yelled, "Plane crash!" With what I thought was my last breath. Wow. And uh, the, he ran over. Uh, Johnny Moat was his name, and he he ran over and said, "Oh my God, I'm so sorry." And uh, he helped me to a phone where I called my wife Patricia and told her that we'd had a plane crash and she was going to see it on TV and hear it on the radio. But I was alive. I just wanted her to know that I was alive. The whole conversation was less than 30 seconds. Wow. Of course, you know, she started crying, of course. She was very upset. But she said, I understand. Do what you have to do, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's in the movie that we did. And uh, all of my sons, uh, Marshall and Chris, wrote music for the soundtrack of our movie. Um, My son, Marshall, wrote the most important song as we were getting on the plane for the last time. My son wrote a song called uh, 
Southern feelings. And in the song, it says, live each day like it could be the last day of your life. Mm-hmm. And so it was very poignant um, uh, and played as we were getting in the movie, as we're getting on the plane for the last time. Um, we pull up in limousines and my wife and I, Patricia, we're, we're in, in a Jeep. We, we love Jeeps. We're Jeep freaks. <laughs> and, uh, and that's the last time that plane ever flew. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you, you know, it, it, we did the movie, we did the soundtrack and released it during pandemic. It's hard to release a movie, much less during pandemic and a soundtrack, but we're very proud of it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we got, you know, pretty good airplay. Marshall's song got the most airplay all over the country. Um, but you know, it was, like I say, we were kind of passed over a little bit because of pandemic. Yeah. And, um, now we have this new, uh, tribute to Ronnie, his music, his band. I'm, I, I feel very uh, lucky to be included. I'm very happy to be included. And uh, I'm very proud of my band. Our new album, Anthems, uh, mm-hmm. kicks absolute ass. <laughs> and uh, using, you know, modern day technology and a great producer, Kent Wells, which was, you know, he was with Dolly Parton for 35 years. Yeah. So I, I've got a fat Nashville drum sound. Oh, wow. And uh, last October 20th, just this past October 20th, was the 46th anniversary of the plane crash. Mm-hmm. And uh, that night, we were asked to play at the Grand Ole Opry. We played two songs, Freedom Alabama and Swamp Music. And uh, the place was packed, thousands of people sold out. Uh, we were on the, on the bill with Vince Gill and some other great players. And, uh, you know, we were very proud to be there. And it just... It was very emotional for me because I'm thinking to all my rock and roll friends up in rock and roll heaven, you know, which is my whole band, <laughs> my my entire band is, you know, I, I'm thinking, well, you know, in my heart, I, I'm thinking, I hope you're proud of us. You know, we're here at the Grand Ole Opry. Uh, we miss you. We wish you could be with us, you know, and, and that's what goes through my mind almost every night when I'm playing this music. I, sometimes I get so emotional I can hardly play. Really? Um, uh, it, it overcomes me sometimes. I never know when it's going to hit me, um, but the tears will flow. But I, I press on through the songs because I, you know, uh, I, they're tears of joy, mm. you know? Well, and, I mean, uh, Skinner's songs, lives on, I mean, so. they've always been like emotional and weirdly deep um, in, in a really like, I, I would see how that music could could affect you especially with the the history there that's oh yeah and ronnie's prolific writing you know which just everybody can find something in his songs that they can relate to mm-hmm. you know i i get people coming to our shows we play festivals and we all sit for hours assigning old albums and i hear stories about the people that buried a friend to Freebird. a lot of bikers mm-hmm. i've heard that story hundreds of times uh the, the Sweet Home Alabama was used for a high school prom theme or, or you know, the Simple Man uh, was their favorite song and they were buried to that song and wow. had somebody sing it. <clears throat> you know, I hear the stories every time we play and I don't take it lightly, Sam. Mm. I, I don't take it lightly. Yeah, yeah, wow. Well, do you have one great story that you you lived through with your time with Leonard Skinner, like a, a story from the road, a story working on a song, anything particularly memorable? The one that I have to say is Nebworth, England, uh, 60 miles outside of London, 300,000 people. 
the Nebworth Festival. Um, it was the Rolling Stones, 10CC, Hot Tuna, Todd Rundgren, um, Creedence Clearwater Revival without John Fogarty, um, and us, and 300,000 people. Um, I hung out with Paul McCartney and Linda. Wow. Um, you know, he loved our, our set. He, he watched our set. He specifically mentioned Freebird. He said he really liked that, that Freebird song, as he said. Um, that was incredible. Jack Nicholson was there hanging out with everybody. Um, it was an unbelievable day. And uh, watching 10CC and uh, all of the other great bands, uh, there were uh, dog fights with old uh, biplanes, old World War I biplanes doing simulated dog fights above the crowd. Uh, hot air balloons, uh, people dropping from hot air balloons and parachutes, clowns. Like I say, three hundred thousand people, man. It, it's a festival, and it was uh, <laughs> it was it was deep. But uh, you know, when you meet somebody like Paul McCartney, and they actually know who you are, and you you know comment it on on your band, it's something you never forget. So mm-hmm. that's got to be one of my top. Uh, memories of being on the road with Skinner, um, us actually blowing the Rolling Stones off the stage, you know, <laughs> outside of London. And the reason I say that, they quoted me in the London Times Mirror as saying that, that we blew them off the stage. But what what it is, they came out two hours late, and they were drunk out of their minds. And all of the beginnings of the songs were sloppy as hell. All of the endings were sloppy as hell. But when you're the Rolling Stones, you can do that. You know, they were getting high with Jack Nicholson, and they came out drunk two hours late. And so we possessed, as the London Times Mirror said, the energy of the day because we played Freebird at the height of the day. You know, and everybody was like amped up, and the whole 300,000 people were jumping up and down. You know, and then when the Stones came out, everybody was tired and drunk and <laughs> worn out from a day of just unbelievable music and and uh, uh, frivolity. Uh, you know, it was it was a wonderful day. So, you know, I I said that we blew the Stones off the stage. Uh, I I always expected Mick Jagger to track me down and say, "Oh yeah," you know. Uh, but there's also a picture of of uh, the, 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 uh, Charlie Watts and 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 Ronnie Van Zant. It's a black and white. It's famous. You might be able to pull it up. It's Charlie Watts, uh, and in between the two of them facing the camera is um, the the uh, uh, Cosmo, the drummer for Creedence Clearwater. Huh. And a lot of people thought it was me, but my hair was down to my waist, and Cosmo's hair was only, you know, was shorter. But we both had the beards, and it was a black and white photo. So Cosmo's looking at the camera. On the right of the picture is Ronnie Van Zant, and on the left of the picture is uh, Charlie Watts. And it looks like the exact moment that Charlie is saying to Ronnie, Mick says, don't go down on the big tongue. That's, that's our gimmick. That's, that's our shtick. So don't go on the tongue. Well, of course, Ronnie grabbed Gary and Allen, and they went down on the tongue during Freebird. <laughs> Wow. You know, but you can see the look on Ronnie's face. It looks like he's about to punch 
Charlie in the mouth. I mean, Ronnie's got this. Ronnie had a beautiful smile and and everything. But when somebody said something that he didn't like, you could you could read it on his face, and uh, it looked like. Charlie was saying, Mick says, stay off the tongue. And Ronnie was going, oh, oh, oh yeah. And uh, then there's a famous picture of Ronnie with Gary and Allen, you know, all the way, all the way down in the Rolling Stones, big tongue. Because <laughs> um, they inflated the lips above and below the stage when the stones came out, these big inflatables. And it looked like they're, their logo from that era, mm-hmm. the big set of lips with the giant tongue that came out. And um, that's what it was that day. I mean, it was a hell of a stage. Wow. Uh, but uh, we're talking about our new album, Anthems, 1,500 uh, vinyl mm-hmm. albums for sale. Um, but, you know, we're not making money on this album. The, the writers of the song, Ronnie Van Zant and, and Gary and Alan and uh, Billy and Leon, their families and children and grandchildren are going to make money from the album that we did because, you know, we paid mechanicals and the uh, royalties and all of the, uh, the the licensing fees. So all of that money goes to the families. Wow. Uh, we did it. We did it from, because we wanted to honor Ronnie. And, uh, but there are 1500 vinyl albums for sale. Uh, and we had pre-orders that went out, uh, that been going out for about the last month and a half or two, um, people that pre-ordered. But the vinyls, a lot of people like to get those, and those are available at our website, ArtemisPileBand.com. Um, they gave us 500 that are available on our website, and then there's another 1,000 uh, that are going out to box stores everywhere. And there may be more, but for now, this could be it. All right. You know, uh, honestly, because th- this is a tribute album. It's not like we have an album of all original material. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, <clears throat> my son Marshall's got that. My son Chris has that. And my band, uh, APB, you know, we're working on our next album, which is all original stuff. Wow. Some of it from the soundtrack that we did for the movie about the plane crash. So, you know, we're, we're not just sitting, resting on our laurels. Mm-hmm. Um, we we are continuing to try, try to stay fresh and go forward. All right. And uh, I thank you so much for your time, Sam. And yeah, thank you. I love where you live. I, I wish I was out there, man. I'd love to, <laughs> All I'd right. love to see it. Well, thank again. you. Bye, Artemis. See you, buddy. I'm Sam Pador, and I hope you enjoyed that interview with Artemis Pyle, the last living classic member of Leonard Skinnerd. If you did enjoy that interview, make sure to check us out on mybackpages.org where you can also listen on any streaming service to hear many great interviews just like this one.